0: Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this past weekend, which was the uh, middle of January 2010, I participated in the SCCT a board review for the ACR cardiac exam. And I gave a couple talks, and that's what I'll share with you today. And uh, I've kind of modified the talks, obviously, to fit a little bit more into the uh, CTSS vodcast format. But my first talk was, and my second talk was both on coronary arteries particularly look at atherosclerotic change, looking at risk stratification, grading stenosis, and a number of other features. So let's look at some of the information. So questions, what are the challenges to detection of coronary artery stenosis with coronary CTA? How good are we at detecting and quantifying stenosis? How do we optimize interpretation? And how do we quantify stenosis might be some of the questions we ask and some of the questions we need to answer. Now, remember, this is a prep for a board review course, so a lot of what we're doing here is not so much showing images as you might typically do in a meeting but really try to cover a lot of material that might be asked in a, a quiz type format so um, there's no doubt as scanning has gotten better with newer scanners with a newer generation of ct scanners diagnostic performance for assessment of significant disease defined as greater than 50 percent has improved And the proportion of non-accessible segments has definitely decreased, as shown nicely in this article, looking at 64 slides by Van Honecker back in 2007. And we know that there have been changes since then, 320 and 256 and dual source 128 by 2. All of these scanners really are pursuing several things better spatial resolution, better temporal resolution, and volume coverage. And of course, in this article by Tom Floor, the question is how much better can we get and what exactly are the problems? Well just some idea about evolution of scan times. We've gone 16 slice CT, people were doing cardiac at 18 seconds worth of study, to 64 slides where the studies probably take about 10 seconds or so to dual source now where, with flash acquisition, you could do it under 0.5, probably closer to 0.3 seconds. We look at evolution of spatial resolution, it's gotten better, but we're still in that under 0.4, typically quoted 0.35 to 0.4 millimeter range, Uh, G on their new high-risk scanner in certain modes uh, claims to be down to 0.25, and to put that in perspective, catheter angiography is typically quoted at 0.2 or 0.2 to 0.25 millimeters. So we're approaching catheter angiography. Now, resolution, what's the problem of not having better resolution? Well, it's not a surprise. Calcium-blooming artifact is typically due to insufficient spatial resolution. So the better our resolution, the less this will be an issue. And of course, as we want to characterize plaque, not just detect it and quantify and make it reproducible to look at follow-up after therapy, For lipid plaques and non-lipid plaques, again, the uh, resolution is an issue in that regard as well. Now, of course, why don't we just improve resolution? Well, you could do improving spatial resolution, but it's not at a cheap price. So, for example, if you wanted to double resolution, you would need to increase dose by a factor of 16 because the dose needs to be increased by a factor of 2 to the 4th just to double the resolution. And you can see obviously that's not something we're able to do. So does that mean we're never going to improve spatial resolution? Well, there are other ways. New detector materials, improved detector electronics, and in the post-processing side, inter-reconstructions promise to be very important. So we are moving in that direction, but we have a way to go. Temporal resolution. We can fix that. We can have faster gantry rotation times, but there is a a physical limitation, probably down to a little above 0.2 seconds, and we're at 0.28 now. You can have multiple x-ray tubes. We do two x-ray tubes. Maybe you should have four, and of course, some of the multi-segment reconstruction plans, uh, which need a low heart rate and a regular heart rate, but again, that's a possibility. Now, there's no doubt that... uh, the limitations in temporal and spatial resolution uh, at times will lead to poor studies. And of course, in CTA interpretation, it's much more common to get a false positive than a false negative study. You tend to overread. think about calcium. Very easy to overread in this nice article by Stefan Ackenbach. Min had an article, very nicely published last year that looked at the things that make a coronary CTA non-diagnostic. What are the specific limitations? And he broke it into four. Spatial resolution issues, temporal resolution, contrast enhancement, and other patient-specific factors. So those four things are things we can look at. And we just did look at them in a sense for spatial and temporal resolution, but let me just remind everybody, spatial resolution, limited ability to classify stenosis, more of a problem when there's calcium and blooming artifact, and of course partial averaging in one case might be when looking at stents. Temple resolution at 64 slice, we're typically speaking about 150 to 180 milliseconds, and you really need to push a low heart rate to really optimize the study in that regard, and so we beta block patients. Uh, Again, we need a regular low heart rate. Patients with arrhythmias, high heart rates, cannot get the lowest dose studies, which are prospective, and those patients typically need retrospective acquisitions. Now in terms of contrast, no great surprise. Articles have said you need a minimum of 250 Hounsfield units in the vessel to make it worthwhile. Reality is we probably get closer to 350 to 450 with a good study. So the higher the contrast density up to a point means you have sharper images, there's less partial averaging, there's less overcalling of disease. And whether you do this with test bolus or bolus bolus tracking, we've spoken about this before, it just doesn't matter as long as you get good at one of them. Now in terms of patient-specific factors, we know the very large patients, the images are noisy. It's really hard to read those studies. Obviously if patients move, if patients have poor venous access, those are specific problems. But again, the the large patient is something that we've seen many articles about, and it just is problematic. There have been a number of articles looking besides that Min article, uh, Goya article, again commented on some of the issues, and again, uh, just to show some of the comments about over and underestimation of degree of stenosis, some segments not accessible, discordance between coronary angiography and CT and defining segments. So again there are many issues but I don't want to overemphasize the issues. I think what's important is to recognize them and so when you recognize problems you learn how to minimize those problems. Okay now at the meeting uh, and I've spoken before about Agasson scoring how it's very important as a predictor of potential events in the future. Now, obviously we all hope to have zero Agatston scores, but the question would be, if you have a zero Agatston score, should you bother doing a cardiac CTA? Is it of any value? You got a zero score? Well, number of articles. This article by Lau, absence of calcium does not reliably exclude coronary disease. Remember, we say detectable calcium means it's a 130 Hounsfield units or better. Well, you can have calcium, but it's not yet at that point. And a good article by Kelly looked at this and made the point that you can have a significant atheromatous burden, including stenosis, that are significant with no coronary calcification. Now we do know that uh, racial profiling in coronary disease is real. Uh, A lot of the data really reflects a white population. In the African-American population, patients are more common to have significant stenosis but no calcification. So in in an African-American population, those calcium scores are not quite as helpful. And this article by Kelly, he looked a little bit further and let me just go directly into some of his information. Uh, He found that half the patients he studied had non-calcified plaque on a coronary CTA with a zero calcium score. And he also showed that 12 of these 167 patients had at least moderate stenosis, five who had severe stenosis. Eight of the 12 patients with significant stenosis underwent invasive angiography and in fact needed coronary stenting. So again, this article shows very nicely that a zero score does not mean no plaque and in some patients a zero score does not mean no significant stenosis. So again, something to remember. CTA visualizes the vessel. The only real way to be certain there's no disease or there is disease is by direct visualization. Now let me flip the question around again with and scoring, and this is something we've spoken about before. Is there a magic number when you shouldn't do CTA? If you have too much calcification, is the chance of a good study just too low that you shouldn't bother? good article by Hecht makes the point that there is no absolute number, makes the point that It's more difficult to evaluate. You need more experience. But when all is said and done, you can typically get good information. I think all of us are aware that calcium is an issue, but I think we learn to deal with it. Though some cases it just really makes it too difficult. Now, some points to make. I'll just share a couple examples. Calcium score in the 120s, nice discrete plaque. Is this vessel stenosis? What's going on? Well, when you look at the CTA, you can see it's eccentric calcification, positive remodeling. There's no stenosis of note present. Uh, Good example of where it's not a problem, where the angio gives you all the information you need. Other cases, just to make the point, you may have multiple calcified plaques present. Uh, I show this example to make the point that when you render and uh, analyze images, you want to be careful. Here's an example using mainly MIP imaging and it shows depending on how you rotate the images uh, you can have extensive calcification uh, which seems to occlude the vessel but it's simply overlying the vessel. Remember we've spoken that with MIP imaging, it's a projection technique and very very simply uh, you can't project over a vessel and make it seem occluded so again you want to be very careful in this scenario curve planar reconstruction works very nicely. Now another case patient with a markedly elevated Atkinson score, and here's just a good example of why you still can get great studies. There's the patient's uh, LAD, and you can see extensive calcification. Patient had some atypical chest pain, but look at the CTA. You can see very nicely, look at the proximal third of the LAD. The vessel has a high-grade stenosis, and yes, there is calcification present, but as I played around with the images, as I used different rendering techniques, from volume rendering, to looking at um, curved planar reconstruction, to looking at multiplanar, you can very nicely see the very critical stenosis, the non-calcified plaque and calcified plaque that's causing a high-grade stenosis, and this patient went to cath immediately following the study. So again, there is a lot of calcification. There's some areas in the vessel more distally in the LAD. I do have a hard time evaluating, but I'm still able to make the diagnosis that changes that patient's life. And there are articles. Here was an article with dual source, mean calcification 1391, mentioning some of the problems. But again, it's something to be aware of. Uh, and there are many articles. Dual source, I think, helps a bit, but not uh, enough uh, to say it eliminates the problem. So again, um, you know, c- consider that one of the issues. Now, next question I did ask. And it's just really a follow-up to the same point I made about predictable situations where CTA has considerable challenges. One is a key understanding of um, the interpretation, and I mentioned this before, and I've mentioned it in other lectures. Nice example, right coronary artery, you see lots of calcification. But again, if you use MIP imaging only, it becomes very difficult to ascertain whether the calcifications are critical or not. If you go to volume rendering, sometimes you can separate the, ve- the calcifications off, but really the place you want to be is in curved planar reconstruction. Curved planar reconstruction, which is essentially a form of multiplanar reconstruction, is very nice in this regard. You can see as I rotate the images along a center line, you can see that 50% stenosis in the LED. You see the calcified plaque, you see the non-calcified plaque, you see the lumen. So the ability to really get the right projections to get the right information and not to overcall or undercall disease, uh, very nicely shown in this example. And here's another case looking at the axial, you see the eccentric calcified plaque. Looking at the cross sectional view, you see the plaque eccentric, causing some narrowing but not limiting flow. And then taking that data set, you can see as you look more carefully. In the uh, left main, just going to an LAD, there is calcified plaque as well as non-calcified plaque, and you get the feel. I'm not showing you this interactive. The importance of looking at multiple planes, multiple perspectives, to really get all the information you need to be able to make the right diagnosis. In this case, a stenosis that's less than 50% with positive remodeling. And again, another example. So I'm just showing you a few cases. Here's a nice example with calcified plaque and non-calcified plaque. This case image on your right is the MIP image and does show us as I windowed it a select way and had a very thin slab that you can see some of the non-calcified plaque in addition to the calcified plaque. Remember typically MIP imaging can really underestimate the degree of non-calcified plaque present. Uh, Again, thin slabs, probably five millimeters or less is where you really want to be. Now, this article by Zhang did make the point that uh, it's not just score, but it's plaque size, that when there's small or moderate-sized plaques present, not too difficult. When there's very large plaques present, uh, it's more problematic, and as he said, when errors occur, they're usually due to overestimation of the degree of stenosis. So again, very important there. And you can see some of his numbers. Um, obstructive lesions with large plaques Sensitivity is easy because you see something, but specificity, positive predictive value are both low. Negative predictive value, of course, in those situations is high, but your accuracy is less than optimal. So there's no doubt, uh, um, and a quote, last quote from that article, is that it's uh, blooming and beam hardening that tends to make the uh, the problem. Okay. Now, um, dual source, again, I mentioned before about potentially... Uh, Um, having some value, but it's still a problem. And I think uh, there's no doubt whether you read the Stoltzman article or the Schlosser article, grading in areas with significant calcification is difficult. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. So again, keep that in mind. Now it's important to remember when you look at articles, and here was an article by Meyer looking at 40 and 64-slice CTs, looked at 22 articles, uh, looking at uh, assessing the diagnostic performance of MDCTA compared with invasive coronary angiography. And they found that CT had very good results. And not surprising, it did better in proximal than distal vessels. Um, so that's not a great surprise, or um, you can see very, very good results. And this did make the point that the mid segment of the right coronary, which is the segment that moves the most to move up to four centimeters has the biggest issue. So again, um, you can see very nice results and I give you a few references. Now, I don't want to go into all the data. Now, typically we've quoted, and most people do quote, you look at coronary CT done at a good institution, 64 slice or better, negative predictive value 99%, positive predictive value between 87 and 92%. And there have been a number of articles. Here's an article in uh, this past year by Budoff looking at a multi-center trial, this accuracy trial, and some of their conclusions that CT had a very high diagnostic accuracy, particularly in the 50 and 70% stenosis range, and again mentioning that 99% negative predictive value. Or this article, another article by Choey, or an article by Johnson, or an article by Miller, all had very good results. The results were very dependent on populations. Miller's results were not quite as good, but they had patients who had uh, often elevated calcium scores. And so CT did well, but in their article, they concluded that at this point could not replace conventional angiography. Okay, so again, um, those are some of the numbers. We're not perfect yet. It's getting better, but at least you know the ballpark we're talking about. Finally, the last thing let me talk about in this first talk, the current status for plaque analysis. The question is, can we really analyze plaques and give more information? We talk about calcified plaques, but what about non-calcified plaque? Can we tell much about composition? And there have been a number of different articles. Here's an article by Cheng this past year uh, talking about some of the challenges and quantification of plaque. And their conclusion, highly reproducible measures of plaque detection percentage of composition are achievable with lower levels of agreement for absolute plaque volume. And that was one of the more successful articles. Other articles, again, some of the problems... Uh, particularly with small plaques, indeed very, very difficult. So something, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but something that still needs lots of work, again, we mentioned before, spatial resolution is critical. We commented about accuracy of post-processing techniques. Because this was a board review, I made the point that we can use all of these techniques, right? And you can see very nicely, in this case, look at the LAD and CERC and the Ramus and the uh, diagonals, very nice volume visualization, but again, with volume rendering, depending on your system, you can make errors because of uh, poor setting of the parameters. And so things like curved planar, off-axial reconstructions, multiplanar. in this case, looking at the right coronary and the left main coronary, and the SA nodal branch off the patient's right coronary, you get a very good look at the type of detail we're able to get. And why there's much higher accuracy when you stick with the multiplanar or, uh, or the curved planar reconstruction. And I particularly like curved planar reconstruction. With the new workstations, it really gives you the vessel and then you can rotate around a center line. Another example making the point about the limitations we discussed before with calcified plaque and MIP imaging and here's that same patient volume rendered where you can see some stenosis in the proximal right coronary you also nicely see the uh, calcified plaque in the LAD and I'm working on the ways of using this technique uh, which I can talk about later but again same patient you really get a good feel of the uh, issues on the curved planar reconstruction you also recognize of course in this case some of the problems involved because very very hard to interpret uh, that uh, information Now percent stenosis uh, is a very important factor how do you quantify stenosis and why don't we take a break here and we'll come back and discuss that next talk see you in a bit bye bye